What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I'm your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously, both in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset and behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. Welcome to the show. Guys, real quick before we begin, I want to quickly tell you about my new coaching program, Elite Property Foundations. It's officially launched as of the 1st of June, and it is now alive and kicking with members. If you are a novice property investor or you would like to be a property investor, this is the program for you. I guarantee it's going to take you from feeling nervous about what you're doing to being both highly knowledgeable and confident in your decisions. There's a load of features and benefits, so you should definitely check it out. I'm gonna leave a link in the show notes below. That's all, I hope to see you inside. Now let's get on with the show. What's up guys, welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade, and it's been a pretty eventful couple of days. If you are following the news in Russia, then a guy called Yevgeny uh, Prigozhin decided to turn on Vladimir Putin and he had been fighting in Ukraine with his Wagner group which is this like hired mercenaries and he had a group of 25,000 men and he decided let's turn on Putin and start driving the tanks to Moscow and he got to about half the distance before the whole thing kind of got turned around and um it appears that it's all sort of fizzled down, but it remains to be seen because all the news is about how Putin has been very much weakened uh, internationally and at home from this stance, somebody sort of questioning his, um, his position. But anyway, guys, as you know, the world moves on. But the reason I brought that up is mainly because events take place um, at and you can never predict when some kind of an event is going to take place that could derail the economy, that could create some sort of pressure point which causes interest rates to increase or you know, um, inflation to start rising again, which will push interest rates up higher. I know we're all suffering at the moment with interest rates, but it just shows you, you never really know what is around the corner. So do not leave yourself really, really tight when you're doing a deal. Anyway, let's get on to this week's episode. Episode number 164 is with my guest this week, Michaela Wayne. Now, Michaela first came to public awareness and prominence back in 2017, about six years ago, when she appeared in the show, the BBC show, The Apprentice. Now, this is the show that Lord Alan Sugar selects the candidate for investment, and he goes through a whole load of people. Now, Michaela... Uh, surprise it to her, a big surprise to her was she actually hung on in the boardroom right up until week 12, which is the final week when he makes his decision. Now, she didn't go through to the very, very final, but she did make it to that final week and was one of the finalists. And um, Michaela is from Bolton in the UK. And one of the other reasons that she is sort of in the public eye at the moment. And one of the reasons that I brought her onto the show is because she is one of a small number of ladies that are enjoying success in the construction sector. Now, listeners 
will be well aware that I have four daughters. So this is a topic that is close to my heart. And so I'll let Michaela do the talking. And so without further ado, my conversation with Miss Michaela Wayne. Michaela Wayne, welcome to the podcast. Yes, thank you, Kevin. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to have you in here. And we got lots to talk about. Um, uh, just, I mean, as I just mentioned a second ago, we have a very international audience here, people listening from all over the world. And whereas you're probably very well known in the UK, perhaps outside the UK, you're not so well known. So please, who is Michaela Wayne and what do you do? Oh, who is Michaela? I'm still on that um, discovery journey, actually, Gavin. I'm not sure who I am, but what I do for a living is um, I have a few construction-related businesses in the UK. So I have a facilities management company, a utilities connection company, and my my first, and I guess my main business is a construction magazine and marketing agency, and that's where everything stemmed from. So I do a bit of everything, Gavin. I'm a busy woman. Busy lady. That's great to hear. I mean, it's it, it's, it's funny when you say a construction magazine, it reminds me there's there's a lady I've had on the podcast who's Irish based, Carol Tallon. And Carol has, a, you know, she she does a lot of marketing and PR and things like that for the construction industry. And it's obviously uh, it's like it's an interesting uh, a lot of people don't believe that construction companies do enough marketing and and do enough of the i'm sure you would agree <laughs> they need to advertise more isn't that right the um yeah, it's always they have the little black book that's the whole issue with the industry is the black book anyway we're trying to get away from that but yeah i think they could do do more it's just a it's a bit prehistoric our industry in more ways than one yeah very much so and like between obviously construction and my area of property are very intertwined and very highly related and stuff. And it's the very same, I think, of the property industry as being you know, set in the olden days, basically. Like, you know, the construction methods are still, you know, the ones that your great grandparents would have would be familiar with, you know, and things like that. So we'll get into some of that. But first, I want to take us back, if you will, just paint us a kind of picture of young Michaela growing up and like what brought you into the construction industry in the first instance? Oh, honestly, I think like most people I speak to in construction, especially women, but I think men as well, it's just a complete accident. Unless I think you're on the tools and you're just following your uncle or your dad or maybe your mother or your aunt's career, then generally you land in construction by accident. And I am... Um, I was always, I guess, what they call a tomboy. I didn't wear a dress till I was 18. I'm one of six children, four brothers, um, two older than me who just like beat the living daylight of me <laughs> every single day of my life. So I've always been really rough. I played on the boys football team. Um, and then I just took a bit of a dramatic turn as a teenager. I went to study religion and special needs at university um, to I wanted to be a counsellor or, or a religion teacher to kind of help other young women who had, had been through some childhood trauma. So I wanted to help and impact other women's lives the way that a certain woman had impacted mine. Um, and then I took a year out because, well, I was just basically borderline alcoholic, I think. So I was like, I'll take a year out, see if this is really for me. Went living with my dad. 
handed my CV around Bolton Town Centre because he said if I didn't get a job, he was going to kick me out. So, you know, standard. And um, there was only two places that offered me a job. It was Greg's Pasty Shop and uh, Blue Hernets at 19 is not the one, or a construction magazine. So it was it was a complete accident. I went into sales, selling advertising in a construction magazine. Absolutely loved it. I was familiar with construction and, and property more so. Growing up, my mum was an estate agent. Um, I, my dad's an engineer and my stepdad um, is all, he's a joiner by trade, but they've always bought properties, flipped them. Um, so we was always involved in that process. We'd all have to go down and help to mainly do the ripping out. Nobody trusted us to put anything back in. <laughs> uh, so I was very familiar with it, familiar with the language. None of it um, kind of daunted me. And I just loved it. Uh, and so so I did that from being, like I say, 19 years old to about 25. And then I decided to, to start my own business. And it, it due to me hitting a glass ceiling and it stemmed from the crash course into my life there, Gavin. <laughs> Very interesting. And tell me this, because uh, I've read some details about you. And I think, is it your first business that failed after about five years or something like that? Um, yeah wasn't even five years it, it was two years I think when we when we had to liquidate uh I, that was a that was a magazine business as well and it, it that's purely my fault as obviously as the owner uh but my, my lack of knowledge I wasn't from a business background where I'm from in Bolton was extremely deprived um you know I grew up with free school uniforms free school dinners we nobody who I knew had a business at all so it was it was all very foreign to me and I was getting my business advice off the local butcher um and <laughs> as lovely as he was and he was bang on with everything we, we grew quite fast and my accounts was not up to scratch shall we say so we was yeah we, we, we was forced to liquidate unfortunately um I guess I learned a lot from that and since then touch wood not lost any other businesses uh, you know what? It's funny when you say that. It reminds me of a story I had. I mean, you're you're clearly very outgoing, and so a sales and marketing kind of job would be perfect for for your kind of personality. And the pro I have a a good friend who's in sales and marketing, who's like one of the top salespeople in Ireland and stuff. And he was saying you go from that job uh, as the kind of the head of sales or whatever, and all you're doing all day is selling, 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 and then you suddenly you own a business. And it's like all this other stuff also has to be managed. And the bit that you're really good at, you only get like an hour or two a day to actually spend on it. So suddenly your sales numbers drop to the, you know, down to the level of time you're putting into it. And so um, I guess that was probably part of the problem is, is that your, your time is kind of spread so thin when you become a business owner versus. Um, it, it's a huge issue and something that people just don't tell you about and funnily enough the only a-level that I failed was actually business studies as well so I was really bad at business <laughs> I was like the worst at business how I ended up making these successes beyond me but it was um it was a shock to the system it was the accounts HR recruiting retaining buying the office buildings equipment just everything that all I wanted to do was sit on the phone and sell and I was I can sell anything to anybody I was brilliant at but I, just like you say I didn't get the opportunity to do that anymore and I just didn't really know what I was doing when it came to the other stuff so just as my businesses have grown and you know then they they croft over the years and they peak and they trough then I've learned lots along the way so now I feel I'd be confident in opening any business in any sector and it doing well but it's um I would advise anybody who wants to start their own business to to really understand what 
VAT and taxes, number one. <laughs> yes, yeah. Try and partner with, you know, like get a good accountant, pay that extra money for it. was so, I wish somebody would have said to me, okay, they'll pay for the experts, pay that extra for the experts and you really can't fail then. Instead, we were scrimping and scraping and you calling in favours and it just, it just really went tits up. Yeah, yeah, it goes, it fizzles out after a while and then you just sort of say, you know what, this is not worth it and you, you have to kind of pack it in. I've been there, I started various businesses over the years and some of them have, done incredibly well some of them have failed spectacularly and uh, mm. it's I mean it's all a learning curve as you go and uh, it's kind of part and parcel of life isn't it it's risk and reward I think anybody who starts a business you have to have to, you've got to be slightly unhinged I mean I, and I swear by that you have got to there's something has happened in your life to make you be what a risk everything to start a business but it for me that is all part of the thrill like kind of the failure and then being like yes we're back on a winning route the whole ups and downs and all of the dramas I am just like a big ball of chaos Gavin so it's <laughs> amazing and tell me this i mean in terms of the design and build magazine now i mean you know what i I don't know much about this magazine um forgive me but i mean describe like what the you know what your your most of your time is spent doing these days and because you mentioned you had other businesses as well yeah, so I predominantly sit on the boards for the other businesses. I mainly work on design and build, but um, and doing sales and marketing, mainly marketing them for the other businesses. Um, when I've invested in them, it was sometimes it's been monetary, but mainly it's been for time. So where I'll do the marketing for these companies. So I guess that is like my thing. What I do, it's market these businesses. Design and build is an online and hard copy magazine, the, the largest in the UK. We have a readership of two hundred ninety thousand, which has grown up. Wow over the last um, 12 years or whatever it is now and um we we've sectioned the magazine up so that you know we talk about text and new bills blah 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 and a, a big piece on edib um obviously my passion for women in construction and uh, throughout the pandemic uh, another side to design and build and i guess well it's a business in its own right now we, we started the women in construction awards and that stemmed from the magazine and the work that we was doing the articles that was writing about the research that we was doing basically in the feedback from people uh, from underrepresented demographics within the construction industry we felt like we really had to um, do something more using our platform as a business and my platform personally to to try and get a bit of equality <laughs> yes yes indeed um and and obviously I, I i mentioned that we're not going to go massively into the detail but obviously your personal profile took a big lift uh, when you appeared on the apprentice with alan sugar and um, I mean, that's at this stage now, that's what, five or six years ago at this stage. Yeah, yeah. it's yes. 2017, yeah, nearly six years ago. <laughs> I, I had a guy on the podcast a couple of months ago called Richard Woods, and he was on, I, I think, probably a year or two before you. And he was saying that it was just crazy the amount of inward attention that you get after doing that. And a lot of people go off down the kind of the celebrity road. You you've stuck to the kind of construction and uh, property side, um, and and what has the appearing on the Apprentice? What has that done for your your profile, and how has it affected or improved your business? 
Uh, pros and cons, in all honesty. I mean, I went on the more for life experiences. I said I hadn't really had any business background, didn't really know anybody in business at all. So um, we plateaued the businesses, two of them collectively. We soon just shot a four million and we just couldn't, we could not get beyond this four million. And I was like, there's something that I don't know. And I need somebody to tell me what I don't know. And I don't know anybody who can possibly tell me this. And I actually suffered from incredible social anxiety. So I couldn't just go and meet somebody who would tell me. Um, my brother had been on Love Island the year before. He's 10 years younger than me and he, he had a whale of a time. And I was like, <laughs> I can go on here. Um, it's going to be amazing. I know I'm, I'll have a great experience. I'm all about living life. Um, and hopefully I'll get some mentoring along the way from the people who are meeting the process, but potentially large sugar as well. And no part of me ever thought that it was going to win. I don't know if it's imposter syndrome or, or whatever. I, I was just all for the experience. And it was it was a brilliant experience. I, I learned so much throughout the process, so much stuff that I just didn't know when it came to business. And so many great people who I'm now connected with after all of that was positive I met my partner on the show we've had a baby um all loads of positive things uh, the attention that I got off the back of it for 12 to 18 months was like lots of fun but actually really hindered business development because I had so many people reaching out to me you know like um, organizing meetings and then I go and they'd be like oh does it really take 20 minutes to get ready in the morning I'm like Fuck yeah, yeah 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 <laughs> you know, I thought we were going to do this big deal and you're asking me about bloody large sugar and Karen and Claude. So it it made things really difficult to try and qualify, I guess, um, potential clients. Yeah, yeah. Full of waffles. So it really did hinder things for 18 months or so. And and I had a baby as well. So that really did hinder things. Yeah. Um, so, so it was pros pros and cons I think in the long term I've learned so much from it made so many connections and when people have seen you on tv they feel like they know you so they trust you so actually it's easier to open doors once the kind of chaos dies down you've got this trust element then so in the long term been brilliant in the short term it was a bit of a hindrance yeah interesting I heard similar from from Richard when he was talking about it all right yeah and it's like everyone wants a little piece of you as well when you come out of that because you've got this kind of this fame and uh, it's mm. but it's it's kind of general fame as opposed to fame for what it is that you do and so that's what you're talking about yeah interesting and and do you do you get involved in the actual construction side I mean obviously you have a construction magazine and stuff do you you mentioned your you have a facilities management business. And is that um, do you do you actually get involved in in the construction side where there's uh, you know building things out or or anything like that? Yeah. So previously, not so much now. I don't go on site that often. Only if it's a big tender contract where I feel like I need to be present, and it'd be throughout the tender process, opposed to going and seeing what's happening on the site because we employ people far more qualified than me to do that. Um, but yeah, in the earlier days, I guess we I would be involved in seeing things from stats when, although with facilities management, we do get involved in in refurbs as well. It's a bit more extensive just FM work um so for the bigger projects or bigger clients so we was tendering for a site at a Broadmoor hospital so I was like I'm just desperate to go to Broadmoor hospital how interesting um so things like that then then we'll go on site but uh, to be honest like a, a lot of women um I, I struggled with that I struggled with going to site and um just being ignored 
people thinking I, I, I was there to take notes and me asking a question and them answering my male QS instead of answering the person who asked the question. And it just, yeah, it, it was a bit thin over time. I still love the industry and I do like to, to still be involved in that side of things, but yeah, not so much anymore. And, and tell me this, I mean, from the point of view, you mentioned that you have social anxiety and that, that strikes me as on you, is surprising because you seem very comfortable. And uh, I mean, what, what is it that, is it the, is it the male dominant side of, it, of the business that you're talking about when you say social anxiety, or is it that you're actually, you fear going in to meet uh, people? Because I would have thought sales and marketing coming from that side, this is easy for you. Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, The Apprentice really did cure that. There's been periods in my life where I've been really bad. At one point in my life, I didn't leave my house for six months. I was like, I was I was bad. Like I had a, a, an actual mental illness. Now looking back, God knows what it was, but I just put it down to social anxiety. And, it, and no, it's nothing, it's nothing to do with men. It was, I guess it's from myself, from results of things that happened in my childhood. But I, I was just very, just very nervous. And I know um, I've seen bubbly, but I've worked on this for, for years and years. I guess it's kind of an act. And also, I'm really sweaty right now, Gabby. <laughs> so <laughs> I still do get very nervous when I'm doing things. But I, I continue to, um, I'll do public speaking or I'll do podcasts or I appear on TV things. And uh, although it causes a great amount of anxiety still, I know if I start saying no to things that it's going to um, kind of take over my life again. So I really try to just keep pushing through the things that I, perhaps I don't particularly want to do in order to stay um ahead of things that's interesting yeah i it's it's kind of purposely getting uncomfortable and uh it's there's growth through that kind of thing tell me this in terms of uh, and going back to the you know the conversation about women in construction and like i i was just thinking about is it such a closed shop is it a perception that it's a closed shop why do more women not go into construction um, I'm just curious because I had this conversation with my daughters. I have teenage daughters that are, one of them is just finishing school as we speak, doing her final exams. And we had this conversation and she was, they were kind of, my, my daughters, they felt, I felt like they were almost ganging up on me. I was like, I was saying, but it's not that bad, is it? And they're like, God, dad, are you kidding? Like, and so I'd love to hear your take on what it is like, and also, you know, how we can improve it and, and just your thoughts on this whole topic. Yeah, so for the last six years, we've been doing loads of research into this. Um, but I'll ask you, so your, your daughters, is there anybody in their lives, or in your life, who's a woman who's in construction? Um, no. That, that's the problem. I, and it is the problem, the chicken and the egg scenario, more than anything in that when I said, especially when it comes to on the tools, um, a lot of the people that are on the tools are following family tradition or, you know, their uncle or whatever's happened with it, that they'll wind up in construction that way where not many people have an auntie who's a plumber. Um, so to try and follow that route, you, and I know it's a cliche, but you can only be what you can see is, is legit. Yeah. Whilst we're still carrying this legacy of um, men wolf whistle when you walk past a building site, obviously they don't, but th this has been happening for years and years. And, and so just 
women are uncomfortable still of an older age, which has the impact on the younger children. But women of my age perhaps wouldn't want to tell the daughters to do that because they would have been subject to this when they was younger. Societal perceptions, teachers don't understand the complexities of construction, the different career paths, the different routes into construction, where you can actually go um, and what level that can be at. People think of construction and they just think it's a dirty site, you're going to be digging holes, you're going to be up to the neck in shit. Am I all right to swear on this? Because I know I'm swearing a lot. Go ahead, yeah. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> I thought he's Irish, so fine. Um, <laughs> and so I think, um, yeah, the, the main societal perceptions of the industry is the biggest thing. And the fact that the education system and the people who are educating do not understand construction. They don't understand you can be a quantity surveyor, project manager, maybe architects, they're, they're, they're perhaps aware of, uh, engineers and all the different elements that go into construction. So it isn't spoken about enough at school. That's the, that's the biggest thing that should change tomorrow. And the yeah. government investing in that. And uh, the fact that we don't have enough women who have been put on a platform to say, this is what I do. I think the likes of TikTok and Instagram and the female traders now are out and about and showing what they do and actually how much fun it is and, and the inclusive environments that normally they stay in really help. Um, but the the other issue is the retention in construction, the, the lack of flexibility. And, you know, unfortunately, women are the one who have to have children. And if you're a brook player, then, um, you know, building a wall when you're eight and a half months pregnant is more difficult for you than, than it is for a man. And then the maternity leave and having to sort out the childcare and in issues that are in normal industries, but the construction just far more rigid. The the time scales are always super tight, and um, they want people on site when they want people on site. So mm -hmm. there's just lots of issues that are impacting this, um, and not enough women at the top who are gonna who are gonna change things. It's there are women who are at the top. They're generally NEDs as well, with with very little voice. So there's an abundance of issues in in my opinion, Gavin. But all of which are, are, are fixable, um, just by you know talking about it more and and doing what you do, having women on your podcast to create visibility is a step in the right direction. Well, this is it. It's it's funny because certain industries are dominated by women. I was speaking to a guy yesterday, and he was saying that the the the, the first year in medical school in one of the universities here and there's 112 students and 108 of them are women and this is going to be you know doctors in the next couple of years and it like there's only like you know less than 10 percent are are male and then on the other side in construction it's probably the complete opposite spectrum and you're going to have i i say it's probably even less there's very few women that are are getting involved um Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, so it is a kind of a, a closed shop, uh, but it's not because of anyone keeping it closed. It's just, as you say, people are not used to um, what they're not used to. If they're not seeing people sort of in yeah. their family. It's vicious. I really feel like the, the pandemic actually has helped and Brexit has helped because now the industry is so desperate with the skills gap shortage that they have a no choice but to send the women in. So now they're finally looking at 51% of the population is in like, oh, actually, um, shall we ask them now? Shall we invite them in? Um, but, you know, it is a, a bit of a case of too little, too late. Um, and, and now what we have to do is 
urgently as possible is teaching at schools is is a long-term thing stop having bob the builder and you know like have bobby the builder or whatever like let's let's stop those little things what are happening now have more female representation in lego and minecraft and all the little things but as it is um as a very fast fix we can look at women with transferable skills even if it's somebody in finance who can sit on a board of a large construction company have a real voice and you know you can you can do finance and construction if you can do finance and tech so it's trying to attract some of these women and let them have the voice and explain their journey and really try to learn from what what they are saying to attract more women because nobody knows better than a woman who's been attracted to that industry so i think we, there's things that we can do now tomorrow that like absolutely and can take effect um but ultimately we, we've got to play the bigger game you know brownies let's stop teaching girls out i've never seen a button in my life gavin do you know never <laughs> so I've, all, all the other daft things to teach you why don't we teach them about building bridges and you get a little bridge bag a little engineering badge or a little brick playing bag like these things we can do as a as a long-term goal and transferable skills i think is a really fast fix yeah yeah absolutely totally agree yeah i mean it's even things like it's also the motor industry like you'll have very few women will go into becoming a mechanic or something like that but um yeah interesting i'd like to ask you uh like some of the stuff that i ask a lot is around habits and behavior i mean the success that you've enjoyed to date um, would you put it down to any particular habits or success, you know, rituals that you have or any kind of behavior that you have identified as your your strongest suit? Oyster bear. White oh. <laughs> <laughs> wine is the one, Gavin. <laughs> I get every weekend. Um, no, although I do like a drink at the weekend. I think, um, no, in, in all honesty, there's no... There's no thing I can't say. I get up every day at half past five or I go to the gym every day. I'm really, I go to the gym if I can go to the gym and I generally get up at seven o'clock and I do like a good sleep. I go to bed at 11 as well. So I'm making sure I get in my eight hours. There's no one specific thing. What I would say is um, for me, and I think this is what I've noticed in other successful people is determination, resilience, and this this like kind of sick thrill that you have um, and and enjoying the, the the bad times, you enjoy the process. I enjoy it. Like I don't enjoy not having money, but I enjoy this whole how we're going to get out of this problem solving, finding solutions to things, opposed to oh my god, I can't cope. And then and never really giving up. I think the only time you're going to fail at anything is is if you stop. Just don't stop. And if you just keep going, you haven't quite failed. So just keep going and adapt and change the roadmap and stop going from A to B and go from, you know, A to D to E to, to whatever. Uh, I, I think just that the mentality um, opposed to, you know, do this and do that. I think it's about resilience enjoying the process if you cannot enjoy your life whilst you're running a business or in your career or whatever you're being the state or mom if you are not enjoying it then you've got to you've got to switch that up so try to find the fun in everything and and just be as yeah be super resilient and do not give up would be i guess my tips opposed to tenacity every day yeah yeah perseverance and tenacity and resilience i mean it's uh yeah i mean that to me is the big thing it's pushing through because i think it's i suppose also it's self-awareness it's knowing your strengths and knowing what it is that you actually enjoy doing so that you put yourself into that environment like if you're bad at doing sales 
then don't go and go into a business that requires you to do a huge amount of sales, you know, but if it in, you know, so whatever your strengths are, identify those and then go all in on that and make sure that you enjoy the process. Absolutely. Double down and just employ people for all the things that you wake up. But you, but you have to know when you have to offload as well. I've seen so many people drowning in their own businesses. Again, trying to penny pinch, penny pinch perhaps what we did in the early days when really you can you can lose that, that money a month and, you know, just outsource. You don't have to have an accountant in-house, you know, outsource these things, whatever. I'm really terrible at accounts. I'm just like shocked. But I'll just get a fresh just pay for a really expensive accountant now. He said to me, like, absolutely not, Michaela, put the brakes on. <laughs> You're gonna crash the car. Um, so I think but I think you really gotta have um you've got to take the breaks. So I have the weekends off, I spend time with my children every evening, I go on the holidays, I enjoy the money, I don't worry too much about my pension and everything in the future. I don't read the news and all the doom and gloom that's in the world and all this, oh, we're all gonna die because it's too hot or whatever the latest drama is. I just stay in my lane enjoy every moment as I find it and um, just try and earn as much money as possible whilst I'm still alive. <laughs> That's a good, uh, good attitude for sure. Um, in terms of, I mean, now you're, you know, looking at your magazine that you run and the, the you know, the, the clients that you have, can you identify, I mean, I know, I know a lot of construction businesses, they don't make as much uh, business, they don't do as much business as they could. And a lot of the time it's because they're not really marketing their business correctly. They're not, you know, a guy that's in started a construction business, he was good at the tools or he was good at some aspect of it and doesn't necessarily think that going out and marketing the business is the role that that is for that person, you know? So like from your perspective, having seen clients come through and and becoming very successful and having successful campaigns and so like what are the what are the winning you know recipes to building a business in construction you know using your example as a kind of a, or, or using your experience of seeing your clients grow their business like what's working yeah i feel like um people, especially if they have come from that direction on the tools, or they've taken over a family business as well, these kind of legacy companies, because they've not seen it, or they've not been taught it, and it was never done before. It's as if marketing is God. Like, I don't believe in marketing. I'm like, well, I mean, it's a, it's a legit thing. Like, billions of pounds are spent on marketing. Look at Coca-Cola. Like, oh, I don't need to do that. I'm like, Coca-Cola don't need to advertise. They still spend millions upon millions. Yeah. There's a them for it if you look at any successful large brand there's a reason that they that they spend money investing in marketing and to be fair when the large companies as well they'll generally spend around 30 percent of the profits on marketing um it's because you have to have your brand out there it's a, it's a huge thing the brand awareness it builds the trust and although what I say to people is like, it's great that you've got this little black book and you've got these clients and it's great if you don't have everything in one basket, you know, you've got a few clients on your books, amazing. And you're being fed the work and that will keep you busy. These con current contacts will definitely keep you busy. Perfect. But if you want to scale a business, then you need to be doing this on a mass scale. Even the, oh, it's a word of mouth. Fabulous. Word of mouth is great, but marketing is word of mouth in your 
own terms to everybody. You know, you can say, oh, look, this is what my client said about me. You can give those testimonials. And even if it's just promoting it on social media or if you're going to be advertising or podcasts or whichever avenue you choose to do it, use what your clients have said and, and push that out there. And then it's word of mouth on a mass scale. So I think... Um, the key things, this, um, I just want some online presence. Like, you know, no, just don't, do not bother. If all you want is an online presence, so you're going to have a dead social media account or a dead website that says, you know, we was established in 1952 and this is what Bob and this is what my mum and dad did. Nobody wants to hear that. What everybody wants to know. And the key things that are definitely working at the moment, number one, are testimonials, but it's all about, solving the problem so everything that we structure when it comes to marketing at the minute will be this is your problem this is the solution you want this is how you get there and this is our experience doing it so there's just four things and everything that we do for everybody honestly it's just like if you don't bother with a marketing degree just do those four things this is what problem you have this is what solution you want this is how you want to get to that. And actually, we've got 10 years experience doing that. Here's the evidence. Listen to Gavin saying how brilliant I am. And if everything is structured that way, press releases, magazine adverts, social media posts, podcasts, everything, then um, you will have very successful marketing campaigns. It's, it's really simple. It's about the content that you put in it and um, it being valuable, always giving something to those who you want to attract instead of trying to charge them for this information. Give them the, the information, first of all. Yeah, free works, doesn't it? It works quite well and you get the attract and you also get the the goodwill. I, I started this podcast three years ago and it was like a it was a lockdown project. It was kind of like just experimenting because I was sitting at home. And the amount of people that send me messages, you know, thanking me for doing it and stuff. And you and it and that motivates you to do more and more and more. And like the you become the authority though if you were if you're saying i do this by doing x y and z this is my advice on that and this is legit good advice then people are going to be like oh i'm going to go to gavin for that because he quite clearly knows what he's talking about and look at all these successful clients that he's got it's you proving people have to trust you and marketing is a way to build the trust that sorry i've got a four-year-old who just keeps bobbing in and out yeah that's the, that's the way to, to build the trust by showing the evidence of it, giving away the information, letting that sink in with people and, you know, biding your time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I wanted to ask you in terms of the market, I mean, it's changed a lot in the last, you know, 12, 18 months with the interest rates increasing. And, and it's obviously putting a lot of property owners under pressure, but also I've seen construction companies now are coming under pressure as well. Um, do you have, have you, have you seen this yourself? Have you noticed it in terms of revenues or are people sort of investing the same amount in advertising as they were in the past? Yeah, to be fair, um, we are all over the show at the minute. In all honesty, we, obviously the pandemic just, just rocked everything. We went to 5% of our previous revenue. Mm. It was, it was a real, a massive killer for, for maybe three or four months. And then it's been steady build, but still now when we're not on the upward trajectory, I want to pronounce that right. It were, we're a bit everywhere. You know, some months will be like massive months that we just wouldn't expect. And other months we're nowhere near where we should be. So we're, we're very much up and down. What I will say is this, 
these interest rates are just are just wiping people out. Like we, the the cash flow now is insane. We've never had as many people like saying they need to go on payment plans for us. We're we're a marketing agency. We don't do payment plans. It's not the way that we run. But their cash flow isn't coming right down from the clients. Seeing lots and lots of companies unfortunately going bust, but inevitable. Like after every all the freebies off the back of the pandemic to now pull the plug and whack up interest rates like they have. Um, house prices absolutely all over the show which is having a knock-on effect because at one minute we, where I live we was up by 20 percent and then the, then we're now down by 10 percent previous to the pandemic so everything is just feels like it's a bit chaotic all over the show and making it very difficult to plan so people are definitely being tighter with the budgets but like I say we are seeing a lot and I mean a lot of businesses go bump. I would say we're we're on a close path to where we was at um, during the first recession. When I don't mm-hmm. know if it was deep as that, but I think it's definitely going wide. Yeah, yeah it's 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 the, the worst thing about the interest rates is that they're coming at a time when inflation is also shooting up. And so you're paying more for your gas, your electricity, your groceries, your car, petrol, diesel, whatever it is. And Gavin, I, I, I don't want to sound thick here, so maybe you can give me some insight. I do not understand this because if they're putting up the interest rates to control inflation from something that is not impacted by normal inflation. This is coming from, or so we're being told, it's from the war, it's off the back of the pandemic, it's because of you know the, the oil prices and all this. So by them putting up the interest rates, how on earth is this controlling inflation? All I'm seeing is just people, and I mean people who are doing well, who was wealthy before, who are on the breadline. I right. do not understand how like who is saying this is right i don't but you know do you know i think i mean it's it's very hard to to put a finger on it what you do know is that history kind of shows what's happened in the past history has shown that economically back in the 1980s like i'm of the age when i can actually remember the 1980s and it was uh, i can remember it was doom and gloom and you had you know uh, the minor strikes in the UK and all this kind of stuff. And all of that was during a time of really high interest rates, uh, inflation rate and interest rates. And the problem is inflation turns into a wage spiral and then it gets into this kind of like, it, it can run away with you and you start to lose control. And the government, I think, knowing what they know now, having a, having seen it happen in, a, in the US and the UK and stuff like that, I think they're just basically saying, let's not risk that inflation getting away from us like it did back in the 80s, because if it does, then things will get even worse than they are. And you end up with just everything kind of going tits up, you know, so it's it's a terrible thing. Hopefully it's only short lived. You know, there will be, you know, they'll, they'll maybe, you know, because rates are the inflation rate is falling, uh, is starting to kind of slow down and drop and stuff. So hopefully it'll work and it'll come back and then we can kind of get back to kind of growing the economy. And now there's double the people on universal credits than what was pre-pandemic as well. And I do fear it's all, businesses can't keep up with it. It's fine, like if they say no, like reduce the spend for people, but there's no way that micro businesses and even SMEs can can keep up with this. I mean, I cannot begin to tell you the amount of people who I know who have lost the companies. It just is, it seems to be, 
it's happening everywhere. And all of these people was employing lots of people. I just don't really see the logic behind this. Obviously, I hope the government are right, but I just do not, I, I just can't understand the financial sense. It was just like, an, the whole pandemic for me was just a complete, farce anyway giving out all of that money obviously everybody's going to be skint for years after you can't where they're pulling this money from but um yeah it's unfortunate and and yes i am seeing a definite definite impact on the on the construction industry construction's always a safe industry i've always felt confident in that and i still do because you know everybody needs houses and actually we have a housing shortage in the uk so yes you can't really go far wrong if you can get some government contracts and the infrastructure and all the rest of it. It, it is, it's a very safe industry to be in, but it's who you're doing business with. You know, when people are working on 2% margins uh, and then interest rates are, are rising as they are doing, that that's going to create a lot of problems for the industry as well. Yeah. And tell me, tell me this, in terms of, you know, just looking to the future, do you see any trends for the construction industry that are kind of, you know, nascent early days, but that you think that maybe this will turn into something? Yeah, well, I, I don't know if it's still early days or maybe it's to some of your listeners, I'm not sure, but MMC is just, I, I think there's going to be a massive boom. Um, MMC, the, for the people who don't know what MMC is, what can you just explain? Yes, I mean, modern methods of construction. So this is when they're building the houses in a factory and then take Oh, yeah, yeah, the, factory build and stuff, yeah. And the, the prices are still at the moment. The the there are thereabouts of what it would cost for a traditional build. Um, the prices are only going to come down the more that the the more of these that are being purchased, and the labour costs are, are nowhere near the same. So that is definitely going to be a cheaper way of building houses. Government contracts. The, the, there's been fifty thousand new prison cells being built throughout the UK using MMC, um, and the, there's lots of little factories popping up now. Factories that perhaps made plant previously that are now flipping into building building homes uh, you can get it built faster um and more, it's, it's more controlled as well isn't it it's like you don't have wet trades on site and all that kind of stuff you can it can just be arrived to site kind of pretty much fitted out and ready to go 100% it takes a matter of weeks it's just obviously the, the first part so it takes a bit longer but you don't need or there's and what I will say for MMC as well is they actually have 37% so could the construction industry has just increased to 15% of women in construction from previously 13% for about five years and we're just nearly at 2% of women on the tools whereas MMC is at 37% um. This is because it's seen as a new industry. So it doesn't have this like legacy perception of it being a dirty industry. And um, so they're doing really well at attracting all kinds of demographics. And it is a factory setting. So you can do shift works. You can you can swap the shifts with somebody. It's, it's a lot easier for people to manage. And I do um I do think it's gonna be it's gonna be the future of construction to be it, well, it definitely is. It, it's coming. Whether people are on board with this or not, whether they want to believe that MMC is is the future of construction in this the way country. It all, the way it always works is it's like a tsunami there's there's the people who will ignore it and you know there's the people that are actually watching it and the people who are watching it they'll be the ones who survive and the other guys will just get wiped out a hundred percent Michaela I'm, I'm I'm watching the time there I'm going to get to the, the final question I normally ask is um, best advice that you got uh, in your career to date and then I also like to ask what advice would you give yourself, your younger self, knowing now what you know? Oh, 
to be honest, the best advice I got, and um, I'm not trying to be cheesy with this, it was actually something that was said in The Apprentice by Lord Sugar. Um, I didn't pitch on one of the tasks because I thought the boys would have done it better. They like sold themselves to me. And in the boardroom, I remember definitely should have got fired. I didn't, I think he took shine into me. He said to me, follow the money. And um, ever since then, I guess when it's come to pitching public, I never would have done that. I was only doing telesales previously. So face-to-face -face wasn't my thing. And after that, I was, it, it really stuck with me. I'm like, I had to follow the money. Any of the important stuff I am present for now, instead of sending somebody else who I think might be better, people want to see the owner of the business. So I, I think that was the most important thing. And how can you go wrong? Like, absolutely do follow the money. Um, I guess that's the best thing that somebody's ever said to me. And it came from Lord Sugar himself. And and what I would say to myself would be um, the advice I would give to myself. Yeah, like, it, it, you know, thinking back to when you are a young, a young lady coming, you know, uh, of age and you're kind of thinking what now, no, now what I know today, like what advice would you give yourself? Because I'm, I'm sure you know things now that you wouldn't have perceived to be the case back in those days. Yeah, I think it would be um, to aim higher to be honest to dream bigger my, my dream was to not have my children uh, in free school uniforms and free school dinners and uh, through there's incremental points in my life where I've kind of stopped I, I put the brakes on because I'm like oh I'm, I'm satisfied and I am you know I'm happy as well so so that's fine but actually if I can just push myself that bit more and 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 do just aim that bit higher and set the next goal then I've found I didn't know do annual and quarterly goals and I found when I actually set these goals then I'm pushing myself a lot more earning more still as happy um and there's a lot more that I'm capable of doing that maybe it's just again I didn't see it as a when I was young so I just didn't know that all the things that I have achieved today was was even possible for for somebody like me so I think aim higher that's really a, a nice way to finish up the the podcast Michaela if, if there's going to be a lot of people who want to reach out and you know learn more about you what's the best way to do that um, I guess on LinkedIn is, is the easiest way. So Michaela Wayne on LinkedIn are quite active. I say active on Instagram. I try. Um, Michaela, and for somebody who does marketing, I only try. Um, and Michaela Wayne one on, on Instagram. But LinkedIn, yeah, I'm, all, I'm always in and about around there, putting things out there. Great stuff. Well, Michaela, it's been a real pleasure. And thanks so much for your time today. And uh, I'm going to be looking into, I'll connect with you on LinkedIn a little bit later. And uh, it's, it's been great to have you on. Yeah, thanks very much, Gavin. Cheers. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Behind the Facade. If you have any questions or topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes, please connect with me via the Facebook group that is called Behind the Facade Community. Alternatively, you will find me on social media. My handle is Gavin J. Gallagher. You can stay up to date with all of my content and the various projects I'm working on over on my website, GavinJGallagher.com. And while you're there, please do add your name to the Join My Tribe thing over on the right-hand side. This will ensure you're kept up to date via my weekly newsletter. All of these links are in the show notes below. That's all for now. I will see you guys in the next episode.